The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome back to This Is Working. On every episode of This Is Working, we talk to leaders who have a significant impact on business and society. Today, we have the CEO of UPS, Carol Tomei. If you are anything like me, UPS has been your major touch point to the wider world during this pandemic. I think I've seen my UPS delivery person more than I've seen just about anyone outside of my family. And in the last few weeks, UPS has gone from just delivering what we need to make it through our quarantines to what we need to survive. Along with its arch rival FedEx, UPS is doing the delicate, insanely time-sensitive work of delivering the COVID-19 vaccines. Carol's been in the job since June. She came out of retirement to take it after spending most of her career at the Home Depot, where she was their CFO. So why'd she come out of retirement? As she says in the interview, the challenge was huge, and frankly, she was pretty bored. Carol's the first woman to lead UPS, the only woman CEO currently running a shipping or transportation company, and she's one of only seven female CEOs leading a Fortune 100 company. Carol is frank and enthusiastic and very wise. She has such great advice and insight, and I'm excited to share it with you. Here's our conversation. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? Really well. Thank you. So first of all, thank you for joining us here today. And where are you right now? So I'm at our headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. And are you guys all fully back to work? I mean, I'm doing this out of my attic and so many of us are working at home. What's what's UPS's situation right now? Well, UPSers are essential workers. So we are over 500,000 UPSers strong. Most of our people get up every day. They put on their uniform and they go to work to sort and deliver packages. For corporate folks like me, most of us are working at home. But because we have so many people in the front lines, there's a handful of us that come into the office every day. The headquarter building that I'm in today holds around, oh, 2,000 people. On any day, we only have about 200 people in the office. It's a different way of working, but it's working. What's it like? I mean, is everyone wearing masks in the office? Do you have to limit people on elevators? I think so few of us are actually in offices right now. Just describe it. So in any common area, we wear masks. Um, We social distance wherever we are. Um, So we've got six feet apart wherever we are, and we don't have groups more than 10 that ever come together. In the elevators, we limit to four people per elevator, and you each have to take the corner of the elevator. It's, it's, It's different, but it's working. And I'm just so blessed because of technology. Thank goodness for technology, because it's allowed us to stay connected, even in this uh, time of distance. One of the things that you've really been focusing on is investing in UPS, increasing speed of deliveries. You've only been in this job since June. Can you describe how you have thought about where to spend UPS's money, how to think about investing, and how you made those early decisions on how you wanted to change the company? So we are a company that's nearly 114 years old, the largest logistics company in the world. But we know what got us here isn't going to get us to where we need to go. Our customers are changing, our competitors are changing, and the rate of change is accelerating. So when I came on board and I looked at our customer base and where we wanted to grow and where we wanted to lean into uh, from a growth perspective, we declared that we really wanted to lean into small and medium-sized businesses because they truly value the end-to-end network that we provide. But candidly, we were at a competitive disadvantage when it came to time and transit. 
Now, the company had an initiative underway called Fastest Ground Ever, which was going to improve our competitive positioning. But it wasn't supposed to get done until June of 2021. So when I onboarded, I, I asked the team, I'm like, well, what's getting in the way? And they're like, well, the only thing that's getting in the way is money. And I'm like, well, we've got money. So let's spend it. Let's accelerate the initiative. And so we did. We pulled it forward, got it done eight months ahead of time. And it actually is paying huge results. If I look at just the growth of our small and medium-sized businesses in the third quarter, it was up nearly 19%. That's the highest growth rate we've seen in 16 years. You make it sound so simple. Oh, we just need more money. Let's let's invest more money. But we know that leaders have a difficult time making decisions like that. What else went into it? There must have been more than just opening up the spigots and putting the money in. Did you have to stop doing certain things? How do you get people to take to go from a time frame where they're saying, we're going to do this a year from now and saying, no, you only have three months to pull this off? Yeah, I have fundamentally believe that our resource allocation, our capital allocation should go towards things that are wildly important. Those things that improve the customer experience, those things that improve the employee experience, those things that create value for our share owners. And as I came on board, I said, let's take a look at everything that we're doing. And I found that we had hundreds of projects in flight, and many of them weren't wildly important. So we took the leadership team through an exercise. It was pretty interesting. We had all the projects in flight on the walls and big conference room. We gave everyone 10 green dots and 10 red dots. Said, put the green dots on the projects we, we should invest in. Put the red dots on those that we should stop just to get the thinking going in this regard. The green dots went up very quickly. No red dot went up. <laughs> I'm like, well, we can't leave the room until we put the red dots up. So we, we got the red dots up. And then we had all these projects that had no dots. So no one was really passionate about starting it or stopping it, which said it's not wildly important. So we were able to take all those initiatives and call them down to just 11. And those 11 wildly important initiatives are where we are allocating our resources, our time, our head content as we move into 2021. How do you deal with the emotion and ego that gets involved with trying to red dot those projects and kill them off? Because no matter what, this is someone's baby. What's the cultural change that, that, that you have to put into place to make people be okay with this idea that you are going to freeze something and that it's, it's going to be fine? Yeah, because there were no bad ideas on the wall, not a single bad idea on the wall. But it looked at it through the lens of creating value. And early into my tenure, we created a total shareholder return model that showed how we could create value for our shareholders and how by allocating capital differently than we had in the past, we could actually make this happen. And then we translated that into what it meant for people individually because UPSers are share owners. Did you know that UPSers control about 70% of the UPS ownership? So we translated it to what it meant for people personally and what it could mean for their families if value was created. People got pretty interested in that <laughs> as once we made it real. You know, money isn't everything for sure, but it doesn't hurt. At the same time though, really started to attack some fundamental opportunities to make UPS a great place to work, to make UPSers happier. And we've done a lot of things in that regard to move the needle in a, in a positive way. 
got a long way to go, not where we want to be. I've set a goal of likelihood to recommend of higher than 80%. We're about 64% right now. And it's up from 51% when I joined. So we've moved the needle. We've got a ways to go. It's really important because if people feel engaged, if they're happy about where they're working, and they're going to they're gonna get on board with the strategic direction. That's great. I love this uh, idea of making this about more than just uh, bringing leadership on board, but how do you make sure that everyone feels like it's, it is, that they have a, a, some skin in the game and they understand why you're doing things. That makes a lot of sense. One of our, all of our touch points right now to UPS is that we are watching to see how you are delivering the vaccines. Yeah. Can you walk through what it takes to deliver vaccines? How is it different than delivering a normal package? Yeah, it's super complicated. Many people may not know that we've been in the healthcare logistics business for 15 years. Uh, we have over 10 million square feet of dedicated uh, space just for this very specialized uh, delivery. But I'm going to make the vaccine delivery real for you so you can understand how complicated it is. So when Pfizer received approval uh, from the FDA that their vaccines could be delivered, we were ready because we had planned for this for months. So we drove feeder trucks to the Pfizer manufacturing facility and the vaccines were loaded onto our feeder truck. Our feeder truck then drove to a nearby airport where the vaccines were unloaded from the feeder truck and put onto one of our 747 brown tails. This is an, a UPS aircraft and flown to our major air uh, hub in Louisville, Kentucky. When the vaccines arrived in Louisville, Kentucky, they were taken off the 747. They were processed. They were put on additional aircraft and flown to their destination cities. When they arrived at their destination cities, they were removed from the aircraft and put onto a brown package car, the same package car that was delivering your holiday gifts. And those brown package cars delivered the vaccines to the dosing center. But what was different about that, the vaccines and the packages that were delivered along that complicated route was they carried special labeling, labeling that was on top of the package that allowed us to, to watch it throughout the supply chain, as well as sensors inside the package to ensure that the vaccines remain to temperature controlled. Because as you know, the Pfizer vaccines must be frozen. Our drivers knew they had vaccines, our pilots knew they had vaccines. And I'm just super proud of being part of this moment. All UPSers are proud to be part of this moment because we're delivering vaccines now at almost 100% effectiveness. We believe it's not a package, it's a patient. What do you mean 100% effectiveness? On time, you know, weather can get in the way sometimes, hmm. but we're delivering on time, which is so important because time is everything with vaccines. And is this the kind of thing where the lessons that you learn from delivering these vaccines can be turned into delivering for other products? Yes. As we think about the future, healthcare logistics is one of our strategic initiatives. Nearly 50% of all pharmaceutical sales, as you look into the future, will be biologics. And these biologics require special handling, temperature controlled, you know, very special handling. And we believe that we are ex experts in cold chain logistics. Did you know that we manufacture dry ice? We do. We have the capability of manufacturing up to 1,200 pounds of dry ice an hour. And that's critically important as you deliver uh, biologics. No, I had no idea. That's fat. Where do you manufacture your dry ice? Is that in Atlanta? Um, Louisville. Kentucky, where I'm from. That's great. I had no idea. 
capital of dry ice. All right, uh, Carol, that's fascinating. Also didn't know that about uh, biologics, that it's really uh, interesting to see this investment. Uh, and maybe it's the kind of thing that in years, in future years, we'll look back and say, oh, this is where uh, this all started and how we learned how to deliver these. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. One of the other things you've had to do this year and very quickly in your term is hiring. I think you hired 40,000 people in the second quarter. I was just looking, uh, you have something like 400 job openings. For many of us who where hiring one person is hard or hiring five people feels daunting... How do you hire 40,000? What's that like to do mass hiring? Well, we're good at it. If you think about our uh, UPS, we are a very seasonal business. Typically, our business peaks in the fourth quarter because of holiday shipping. So every fourth quarter, we hire a whole bunch of people. In fact, in the fourth quarter of 2020, we hired over 100,000 people. So when COVID changed the de demand patterns and there was a step change increase in e-commerce sales, we saw that we needed to hire people to handle that unprecedented demand that came to us early in the year. So we just used the processes and practices that we've built over the number of years to hire in 40,000 people in the second quarter. And then again, all the seasonal workers at the end of the year. Now, the cool thing about our hiring practices, particularly as it relates to our seasonal workers, is that about a third of them stay with us permanently. People want to work for UPS. These are great jobs. And actually, they're pretty fun. You know, I had an opportunity to go on a ride along with one of our drivers recently. It was the best day I've had at UPS so far. It was so much fun. I mean, it's hard work. This driver puts in 10 miles a day. If I get 10 miles in a week walking, that's a good day. He's doing 10 miles a day. I'm like, awesome. I, you know, every time I think I need to get some uh, exercise, I'm just going to go out, deliver some packages. Carol, why is that so important for you? I know that you, when you were at the Home Depot, you also used to put on the orange bib and go work on weekends and nights. And when you had time off, you'd work in stores. You're doing the same thing. It sounds like at UPS. Why do you consider that part of something you have to do as a leader? So a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it's 
everything can be solved by listening to the customers. So I love talking to customers and hearing what their experience is with us. Love, love, love that. I also want to get to know our people and hear what's top of their mind. Say, you know, if there was one thing, if you were me and there was one thing you would change, what would you change? People are really great. They'll, they'll share that information with you. And it's not filtered. You know, it's not scripted. It's just real. It's just keeping it real. And you know, I can come back and say, this is what I heard from X, Y, and Z. And it's really helped me think about what we should do and how we should operate. You know, as a finance person for a long, long time, I always thought, you know, as a business person first and a finance person second. So I think I'm a business person first and a CEO second. I just, I like being in, engaged in the business. You clearly know how to hire at, in huge numbers. How do you also make sure that you are retaining people? Candidly, this is an opportunity for us. Our turnover rates are too high. Now, I come from an industry that typically retail has very high turnover. So I'm accustomed to high turnover rates, but we're, we're more like retail here and we shouldn't be. And there are a number of reasons for that. The jobs can be very difficult. I think we can do a better job of training than we have in the recent past. Hmm. So our head of US uh, small package business is all over this. We're standing up a UPS university again to really emphasize the importance of training, making sure our people are super comfortable with the work that they have to do. While many, many of our facilities are automated, there's still some processes that require training and able to do them the right way. Carol, you came out of retirement to do this job. What made you decide that you were that you wanted back in? Well, as, as you said, Dan, I, I had retired. I'd gone on a couple of corporate boards. I'd stood up a family office and a family foundation. I was spending time on my 550-acre farm in, in North Georgia. And um, I was pretty bored. So I was thinking about, okay, this isn't quite working for me. I got to think about doing something else. And then the UPS board, who was working with succession planning uh, here for UPS, found that they were going to want to go to the outside. And the reason why they were going to want to go to the outside is that they created a persona of the skills and attributes and experience of what the next CEO of UPS should have. And they matched that persona up against the existing leadership team. And our leadership team is awesome. Best, best in, the, in, the, in the industry. Just weren't ready. They just didn't fill the persona. <laughs> so the board said, we're going to go to, out, to the outside and, and look for a, a CEO. And they came to me. There was a search committee. I wasn't doing this work. And they came to me and said, do you want to be considered? I'm like, me? I'm like, well, you know, I, I know UPS. I'm a board member. I, I love UPS. It's a great company, a great brand. It's a values-based business. So, you know, fits with my, my values. I don't know. So I thought about it for a while. And I'm like, well... You know, I, I, I love to make money. I do. I love to create value. And, you know, the stock price has been flat for about six years. And I'm like, I think I could get in there and I think we could create some value. I love to develop people. And we have a lot of people in this company. I'm like, well, you love to develop people. You've got a whole bunch of people that you could put your fingerprints on. And I'd really like to get the company in a place where when it's time for me to leave and there's a new CEO coming in, that the board can hire from within. It's hard to go to the outside. It is. So I'm like, well, I could create CEO successor candidates, make an imprint, hopefully positive imprint on people and create some value. Wouldn't that be a good thing? So then I went to my husband and I'm like, well, Ramon, what do you think? And he's like, Carol, would you please go back to work? You know that old saying, I married you for life, but not for lunch. I was driving him crazy. So 
he was just like, please. So I'm like, all right, I got his support. Good. So I was honored and just really thrilled to, to come on board. That's terrific. You came out of retirement and you took the UPS role at a time when CEOs have to speak out much more than they have ever had to or felt comfortable doing. And I think that there is very clearly demand from employees, from uh, customers to be able to hear from senior leaders talking about not just the business, but tough topics, whether that is uh, after George Floyd's killing, talking about uh, racial inequity and what companies are going to do about it. After the Capitol Hill uh, riots, you said that UPS or UPS announced that they were not going to be uh, giving to PACs. Can you talk about how you're thinking through how to add your voice to these conversations and when you do it? So I think it comes back to our purpose. And we worked hard this year to develop our purpose, the why for what we do. And we had a cross-functional team who worked on this, uh, did lots of interviews with UPSers, retirees, customers, vendors, did just a tremendous amount of work in landing on our, our purpose, our why, and that's moving our world forward by delivering what matters. And you can unpack that in so many ways. What matters? Moving our world forward by delivering what matters. And what matters doesn't just include moving packages or taking care of people. It means talking about things that are impacting the world. And so letting that be the North Star, letting that guide my actions and what I say and when I say it has been really helpful. I just go back to back to values, back to our purpose. And try to be very careful and sensitive about and empathetic to the to the issues facing all of us around the world. And is it easy for you to weigh in? Is it hard? Have you had to learn how to develop that voice? I would think as CFO at the Home Depot, you weren't required as much or maybe ever to step out forcefully with a strong point of view. What's it like personally to be someone delivering these messages? So I was so extraordinarily fortunate to have worked with some very unbelievably amazing leaders who were such values-based leaders. And I watched them and the courage they had to always stay true to their values. And that just instilled in me, not a calling to do the right thing, a calling to stand up when you need to stand up and to have courage to do so. I also attribute my parents for that because they gave me a lot of courage to do the right thing too. I want to ask you a couple questions about some career advice. We always ask what people say to people in, in, in early into their careers. I'd love to get two pieces of career advice from you if possible. One is what do you tell people who are starting their career? Maybe they don't have a college background. Maybe they're just thinking about how to get into business. What kind of advice do you give for them on, on how, to, how to think about how to craft their career? And then the second one would be what career advice do you give to people who are second actors? who are people who have had a long career and maybe they were thinking about retiring or doing something different. How do you think through those two very different uh, points in your life? Well, I think the second question is really easy to answer, and that is just to go for your passion. You know, what, what makes, your, make, makes your heart sing, right? Go into it, lean into it. Every day should be a joyful day and just go where your where your passion. When you're starting your career, my advice is don't be too planful. If you're too planful, you'll miss out on opportunities that will present themselves to you. And my very favorite quote uh, in terms of just how to think about your career comes from Maya Angelou. 
She said, don't make money your goal. Instead, do what you love and do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. I just love that. That's lovely. And, and do you have a different uh, bit of career advice for people who are thinking about retiring or thinking about doing something else? Yeah, it's your, it's your, it's your next season. It's your next chapter. So lean into what you love. Lean yeah. into what you love and leverage your network because we've all got networks. Leverage your network in a big way because you may find that you, you'll end up doing something that you never thought you would do. My husband was a scientist when he retired. He's rebuilding cars and he loves it. He loves it. That was UPS CEO Carol Tomei. Carol had such great insights, and I got to say, it was really awesome to see the comments section filling up with UPS employees talking about how much they were getting out of the conversation, how much they like working at UPS, asking her questions. It was just a sea of brown. It was very cool. One thing that really stuck out to me with what Carol was saying was how she reprioritized the company almost instantly upon joining in June. When she joined, it was very obvious that the company had to move faster, that they were not making deliveries fast enough. And so she asked her executives why. They said, well, we have a plan, but we don't have enough money to be able to put towards this plan. So she made him get into a room, put all the projects on the wall, and put red and green stickers on what was working and what wasn't and what they wanted to kill and what they wanted to invest in. And it makes it sound easy, but it was a very, very difficult decision. And it got me thinking, how can we do that in our own lives? How do you decide which projects and tasks in your own life you're spending your time on or putting your own money or investment toward? I would love it if you would share your tips over on LinkedIn so we can all learn from each other. Write a post, explain how you're setting your own priorities, how you're killing things, what you're putting yourself more into this year. Use the hashtag, this is working, so we can all see it. I can't wait to see what you have to say. As always, to get more news and insights, you can follow our main LinkedIn page, which you can find by searching for LinkedIn News. If you know someone who might appreciate this conversation with Carol, please share it with them. You can get a link from your favorite podcast platform or share the newsletter, which you can find on my profile. Thank you. This is Working as a Production of LinkedIn. The podcast was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Dave Pond and Michaela Greer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original video and audio. Dave Pond is our technical director. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon. 